Have you ever had that angel on one shoulder, devil on the other experience since you've stopped drinking? Where one side's telling you, it's fine. You don't really have a problem. You can just have one. And it's surprisingly convincing. And then the other side's telling you, you know you can't have just one. Why are you even considering it? The back and forth of those voices is exhausting, and it can be hard to figure out which one to listen to when you're in the middle of a tough craving. In this episode, we get real about what that voice sounds like for us and how we've learned to combat it. You'll get some tried and true tips for learning how to ignore that alcohol voice so you can honor your future self instead. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Julie and Steve. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full there's no space left for alcohol. We've been busy ramping up the resources we have available. So make sure you check out our website at throughglassrecovery.com. We started it out as just a podcast, but we're so much more now. We offer everything from free Zoom support meetings to a weekly newsletter to one-on-one recovery coaching sessions. Make sure you check it out and take advantage of all the resources and support we have to offer. Thank you guys so much for being here. This is going to be so much fun. We have Rich and Elle with us today, and I think this is going to be kind of an interesting topic. So before we dive into it, we will do introductions. I'm going to let Rich go first. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself? No, it's supposed to be ladies first. It's supposed to be ladies first. No, I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> Elle, Elle, Elle wanted to put something together. My name is Rich Sullivan. I'm very public on my social media about my sobriety. I am a real estate agent, and also a sober coach. I am located south of Atlanta. I have been sober for, I just celebrated 11 years in December. Uh, I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I have lived in the Atlanta area since 1994, so this is home. I have done everything I possibly can to get rid of the New England accent. I hope that I have. Um, And um, yeah, I just, I'm I'm really just glad to be here. I'm a a very active um, user on Twitter slash X. I love the recovery conversation that goes on over there. My interests are really in a lot of like recovery and sobriety podcasts, the conversation that happens on social media, which I really feel is the best recovery sobriety conversation is taking place on X just because it's a lot more fluid and it's easy and there's just no other place in the world where somebody can just type hey i'm a week sober today and like a thousand people might like that and it's just such an awesome thing and to be able to you know watch people change and it's it's just remarkable and so i'm i'm just a huge observer and participant of that in addition to my work as a real estate agent and a coach so that's it Really cool. Well, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, I can't agree with you more. The The recovery community online is incredible. And I know I was telling you before we hit record, Steve and I both got sober with online support. Like that was primarily what we used. And that's where my whole recovery community is all online. So 
completely echo what you were saying there. It's just an amazing thing. And I'm so grateful that you're willing to recover out loud because that's what we really need these days. So yeah, thank you so much for being here. And then next we're going to go with Elle. My name is Elle. My sobriety date is December 11th of 2022. So I recently hit one year sober. Yes. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks. I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I work in child welfare. I have a background in criminal justice. I worked in prisons in Texas. So I have seen firsthand um, kind of the repercussions of substance use in people's lives. Um, You know, prison time, losing your children, uh, basically losing everything there is to lose in your life. And I just found that alcohol really wasn't serving me in any way. I was really unhappy. And so I got sober. I started my Instagram, uh, Sober in the Springs, about six months into my journey. And my focus in that has been, I've, I really found that one stumbling block to my sobriety was I was so concerned about losing a social life, losing friends, losing the ability to date. And I think that's a real concern for people who are uh, younger and and trying to get sober. And so that's why I started my Instagram and I focus on highlighting and activities in Colorado Springs that are alcohol-free, friendly, places with the best mocktails, things like that. And I found that many local businesses are excellent for those who are sober. And I actually had my one-year sober bursary at at a bar downtown. They were very, very welcoming and supportive of me. I remember you posted that, and that was super cool. What was the name yeah, of that bar? Actually, the bar is called Shame and Regret in downtown Colorado Springs. <laughs> They're amazing. And my, my tagline for my the invite for my party was, what L no longer wakes up with, shame and regret. So <laughs> Yes, yes. Amazing. I love that so much. I know someone was just talking about, it seems like even just with dry January, a lot more bars and restaurants are offering a bigger, fuller, non-alcoholic menu and and making people feel more included. It's so cool to see that happen. I feel like voices like yours go a long way in letting places know that's something we really need and there really is a market for it. So super, super cool. Well, I love what you both are doing. I'm super excited to to have you here and hear some of your thoughts tonight. One of the things that I teach my coaching clients is how to identify the alcohol voice in their heads. And of course, there's a thousand different terms, but I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. It's that one that wants you to pick up a drink and always looks for weak moments to start making noise again. So what does that voice sound like for you? Um, What does it say and how do you respond so it doesn't get too loud? All right, now I'll go ladies first on this one. Elle, you got it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> when I was considering this question, I had a very specific instance come come to mind. And I tried very hard to still go out, remain social, things like that. And I did discover in my journey that there are certain bars that I cannot go to because they're just so focused on people getting wasted and things like that. And anyway, one evening I was at a bar that that was that type of bar. And I was out with a few of my former girlfriends, unfortunately no longer girlfriends because you do lose 
lose some friends along your sober journey. But I was at this bar and then, of course, in through the door walks an ex-boyfriend of mine. And he was with some friends of his. My friends thought that they were cute. And so our two groups were mixing. And it was just very, very difficult for me because I still had some feelings for him. And it was it was very hard to deal with. And in my head, I heard that alcohol voice. And it was telling me that I didn't have to feel this way. I could walk straight up to the bar like I used to do at this very bar. And I could knock back a few shots of straight vodka because that was my drink. <laughs> Just straight vodka. And then I could not care anymore. I could, you know, block out all the insecure voices in my head and then just not worry about it. And um, what I ended up doing was identifying that I could not be at that bar anymore. I could not be out that night anymore because I'd already been triggered. And so I ended up going home. But it would have been so easy for me to, if I had stayed there, to just listen to that voice and drink the the alcohol and, you know, give in. Do you remember what that conversation in your head sounded like? It sounded like myself, um, but myself, but not me at the same time. Kind of like a, almost like the stereotypical angel and devil on your shoulder, yeah. like you know, whispering like, "Oh, it's fine. You can go drink. You'll feel so much better." Like a bully, kind of. That absolutely that that sucker hits right there like a bully. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't give up, does it? No, no, and it's very persistent, and it like almost promises you, like, "Oh, you'll feel fine. You'll be you'll feel better." But in reality, like, had I knocked back those shots, I I had been kicked out of that very bar for starting a brawl once. So like, there would have been a lot of factors in there where who knows could have happened again, like. It would have been a lot of time and regret. <laughs> it wasn't that bar, but yes. <laughs> yeah, there would have been a lot of shame, a lot of regret. Yeah. I'm liking these stories that Elle is bringing up here. We need, a, we need a, she needs her own podcast. We need to hear about that. Oh, gosh. Started <laughs> no, what, uh, what comes to mind, and, and first of all, like I think it's cool. I think people who got sober in December are cool. Like I got my dates in December. So I think that I'm cool because of that. But L like, I just, I know what that's like to you get sober before Christmas. It's like, oh my goodness, just this avalanche of Mm -hmm. big tests that you're going to deal with right out of the gate. Like, I'm not saying that there's an easy time of year to get sober because there isn't, but man, December can be a rough month for a lot of people. And like, I think like when I hear people who like their date is in December, I'm like, those are kind of my people. So it's kind of mm-hmm. cool to be in this place right now. But like, yeah, that voice, that that voice, that drink voice, I think so much of it for me back in the day had everything to do with the way that alcohol was marketed to me. It had everything to do with, you know, you deserve this. Like, look, this bar looks awesome. It's cool. The lights are nice in here. It's dim. It's cool. Wouldn't a drink be nice? Like, I'm just... I don't hear a voice telling me that, but I just feel that intuitively because I have been propagandized for my entire life being told that now you're at the bar, you drink. Now you're at the game, you drink. Now you're at this party, you drink. And that was the alcohol voice that I had to find a way to turn off. And I was unwilling to look at 
at, at, at alcohol as the problem. I was willing to consider that anything else was the problem. But, you know, finally I was able to take, take some action after realizing that it was alcohol that I needed to take a look at. And I just had to stop and stay stopped for a little while in order to understand like what could be out there, like just to get a, a 30,000 foot view down of, of what was happening in my life. But, you know, I think it's, it's weird now with what I would consider like longer term sobriety. I mean, I'm, you know, 11 years and I, I can't say that the, the, the missing fleeting thought of having a drink, I can't say that that's gone, but the obsession is gone. Like I don't sit there and obsess about it and I don't think like, oh, I need a drink and I'm able to process those thoughts a lot uh, more easily. And I, and I, it's really about kind of confronting some truth, I think inside of myself about my own thoughts and I've kind of come up with some ways and techniques that I think are pretty helpful to me. Like, you know, just asking myself if what I'm thinking in that moment that I might be, you know, stressed or bummed out about something that happened at work or whatever, like, is what I'm thinking right now true? Like, is this real? Because I have a lot of very unreal thoughts in my head. And yeah. if I can if I can confront those and and acknowledge that those aren't real okay, take a deep breath. Now I can maybe get to the other side of them and I can gradually start to turn that alarm off because that's what the drink voice is. Is It's like, it, it's an alarm. Yeah. It's like, I need a relief. I need a rest. And I guess I'm just glad that I don't hear that as often now as I did back then. But when I stopped, I was really determined and, and I just, I wanted to, sh I wanted to quell that voice. And um, it, it is a hard, hard thing to do, deal with. And I hear, I hear, people struggle with it a lot. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like Elle was saying, it sounds just like you, right? And I know one of the the things just so, I don't know, I've got all kinds of fun, like mental tools, because that's what it is, right? It's just our brain. And we just have to learn how to trick it into to behaving a little bit better. But one of the things that I did early on was like, imagine this alcohol monster in my head that was you know stuck in this cage and i mean i had it pictured it was ugly it was a nasty thing but every time it was screaming and throwing its temper tantrum and i was saying no i had like the satisfaction of knowing that i was starving it and it was getting weaker and that was kind of a powerful feeling and you know i, I was able to do that and then you know it gets weaker and weaker and you think it's just about dead and I mean, I'm only two and a half years into this, so I can't tell you if it dies completely. It sounds like it. Most of the people that I talk to, even that are 20 and 30 years sober, that still pops up every so often. But um, but yeah, it waits till you're, you hit a weak spot and then it starts kind of like whispering again. And it's uh, it's really interesting. I've, I've told people write down the words that are going through your head and then look at those and read them, like read them out loud to yourself and ask yourself, is this really me? Or is this that nasty little monster in my head that's just trying to trick me because it knows that I'm weak right now? It's like once you write it down, you read it back and you're like, "There's th this is crazy. There's nothing sane about these words that are in my head right now. It's amazingly creative, that voice. There's so much weird justification that goes on. It's like, no, you'll be fine. Wait a second. I know I'm not going to be fine. That voice tells me that I'm going to be. It's just I, I was at, I we I met my wife for dinner tonight, and I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for her. And uh, there's a grocery store, and there's a liquor store, and then there's this restaurant. And I thought about how 
if I were drinking, that I would be thinking about how much I was going to drink in that restaurant. And then I was also thinking about what I was going to be drinking after and where I was going to get it. So that's the liquor store or the grocery store. And then like, when am I going to cut myself off? When am I going to tell myself that I can't have any more because I need to be fresh tomorrow morning? Like, how can I avoid this hangover? It's like, oh my God, it's so complex. Like, it's like having a full-time employee and being responsible for this for this other thing. I would so much brain and brain power and mental energy and all of that goes to not just the drink, but getting it too. Go ahead, Steve. Driving. We are going to take a quick break in production here to let you know Through the Glass Recovery is more than just a podcast. We offer tons of free resources to help support your recovery. We host weekly support meetings. We offer a free private Facebook group dedicated to supporting one another's sobriety. And we have a weekly newsletter full of resources, articles, and information to keep you heading in the right direction. And if you're ready to take your recovery a step further, we offer affordable one-on-one coaching as well. Visit our website to learn more about scheduling a call with Julie or myself. We would love to sit down with you at no charge and see how we can best support your journey to recovery. Visit our website at throughtheglassrecovery.com for more information about everything we offer. To where I am right now in Texas and on the drive, I was going back in my head. I remember bartending. And I was so good at knowing how much booze was where. Like, and I would be drinking while I was bartending. And I would be the one stocking it because I was drinking while I was stocking it. It was it was a place to hide and an excuse. But I was thinking about how much energy I took paying attention to where it all was and how much was there. How much wasn't, and then the guy who was paying for the bar and and bought all the booze would ask like how the night went and what was left and what wasn't and whatever. And I'd be like, yeah, there's three quarters of a case of this and there's a full case of this and this one didn't sell at all. And I would know, I would just know, boom, 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 boom. I was paying attention to it mainly because I was obsessed with like alcohol in general and it was interesting to have those thoughts and then, you know, think I, and I still, to this day, if somebody else is, is drinking, I pay attention to it because I think I can relate to it in a certain way or in a different way where like, I can still see my old self in other people while they're doing that. And I got to relate this back to the voice I can hear my old voice when I'm watching someone else go through kind of like the same thing, or at least observing that where my old voice is, you know, here's have another one. It's, do I have enough left to get me through tonight? And I'm already like what you were saying, Rich, is there's, I think so far ahead for that. And I can't even think that far ahead sometimes just in regular life, but I was so good mm-hmm. at planning that part out and making sure I had enough. And if I didn't have enough, like you're saying, like, where was I going to get it from? And, it, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the voice 
justifying it, saying it's okay. And like you said, it's an alarm. It's a, what do I need to change? What do I need to do? Because the fleeting of thought sometimes comes when it's situational. L, like what you talked about, stressful or whatever it is. Do I need to do something? Because something needs to change. If that thought doesn't just fleet and it sits mm-hmm. and it has time to fester and and I'm no, generally speaking, I'm uncomfortable somewhere. There's something I need to face. There's something I need to do. And that voice matters. It chips away. It's like death by a thousand cuts. I can fight it off for a good while on my own. But if I tell on myself, if I give it some space and some room, I don't have a hard time with it now. But early on, if I gave it away and gave it to someone, yeah, I feel like having a drink. And I'm not going to. But I feel like having one. And that's okay to admit. I think there's a lot of shame that comes along with thinking that needing a drink is is a bad thing because I'm I'm quitting. And there's no shame in admitting that. I think it takes a lot of power and a lot of strength to call that voice out and hand it over to someone and say, Hey, yeah, no, I'm I'll be okay. But hear me out, you know. Yeah, so I don't know if this is normal, um, but my husband, he's a drinker and not a heavy drinker at all. He's one of those people who can like buy a six pack and it's still there at the end of the month, like minus two beers, which I'll never understand. <laughs> but um, but I not intentionally, I can always tell you how many beers are in the fridge downstairs. Like it's not tempting. I don't want them. I don't care how much he's drinking other than like, you know, if he's had three that night, I know he'll be snoring later, but Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't trigger me. But I can almost always tell you exactly how many beers are down there. And if like I go down to get one of my like my bubblies or or Waterloo's or whatever sparkly waters out of the same fridge, like I notice. And I I don't don't know if that's normal or not, but I do it for sure. It's just an awareness. I feel like I feel like I am really when I'm around people who are drinking, I'm very aware of how much they're drinking, you know, and to be honest, like I'm really, I, I'll, I'll count somebody's drinks if like I'll see like, okay, well, two hours have gone by and they've had two drinks or whatever. Like, oh my God, like, why are they drinking that so slow? That's not the way I drink, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, wow, like I'm really the exception to the rule here when it comes to drinkers. I'm like, because I would be plowing these things down and probably embarrassing myself in pretty quick order in, in this place that I'm that I'm in. But none of these people are doing it. And maybe like, I, I, and I'm not like them. I don't, I can't drink like that. So I just don't. But like, I think it's fun to, to kind of challenge, you know, to, to create some new ways of thinking about it. And like, you know, okay, I'm, I've decided that I'm not drinking and I'm a non-drinker. Well, okay, how am I going to deal with this stress? What am I going to do? How can I reward myself? Are there some, you know, you guys had a, a, an episode a number of weeks ago was talking about healthier coping mechanisms, how to cope with stuff and have it be a healthy thing than an unhealthy thing you know there are some techniques and tactics that we can learn and use and and they're and they're pretty cool i think a lot of it has to do with like framing the way that we speak about things like it's not like i can't drink or do you can i get you something to drink no i can't drink can can i get you something to drink yes i'll have a diet coke i'll have a soda water with lime you know be excited about it because when you get excited about it you're 
telling your brain that this is a good thing and, and yeah. that this is going to be satisfying for you. So I think it's a lot about changing my thinking. Oh, for sure. And that's one thing I love about mocktails and non-alcoholic cocktails and things like that, because it makes you feel like you're part of things. It makes you feel like you're drinking something fancy. It gives you something new to try uh, whenever, you know, you're at a new restaurant or bar or they've come out with a new menu. And it just feels like you're not that person sitting in a bar drinking from a giant red cup full, you know, of ice and water and everyone's staring at you, which I felt in, you know, really early sobriety is that everyone's looking at me, you know, and guys would come up to me and say, hey, can I buy you a drink when clearly I had a water in my hand, but I assume maybe they thought I was waiting for someone to buy me a drink. Um, and so it just, it helps you feel more normal to have that, that experience. Definitely. I, wish- I knew for me, so Rich was talking about, um, you know, he watches people drink and he's like, oh, like I would definitely be way past that and making a fool of myself. But when we go back to the, like the idea of the alcohol voice, I've gone to girls' nights and, and these are friends that, you know, I used to drink with them. I don't drink anymore. They still do. And we still have a great time. But I'll, I'm totally aware of what they're drinking and how much. And I'll see them get a little bit tipsy and a little bit more tipsy. And they're having this great time. And, you know, I know they're going to have a few regrets in the morning, but nothing awful. And my brain is like, see, you were just like that. It's not that bad. You know, it's just this one time and, and you're no different than they are. And and that's what mine tries to do is just tell me that I'm just like them and that I can probably, you know, just just this one night. Um, and I mean, I, I haven't felt that way in a long time, but that definitely came up like maybe the first few times that I I went out with them that I could just be like them and that I could, you know, I could get a little drunk and it would be fine because that's, you know, all I used to do. And like my reality is that's not all I used to do. Like they would get definitely out. work just like them. No, for sure not. <laughs> I mean, they're out there getting a little tipsy and I'd like, you know, drink six drinks at the bar and then go home and open a bottle of wine and probably drink all of that mm-hmm. too. That's my reality. But it's easy to forget that when you're you're in that moment and that that voice starts piping up again. That voice is very forgetful of what the past looked like. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Go ahead. Oh, I, I I was gonna say I don't think that like the the I don't think there's many people in the world who have woken up and said I'm really glad that I drank last night. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, but that like was such I, a good idea, right? Like this hangover is amazing, Rich. But I've never, but I've never woken up after not drinking and regretted that, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know, I, I have to remember that logic, right? If, if, if something were to happen and I were to end up really obsessing about drinking, I just have to remember that, you know, it's like, never has this worked ever. Like I've always felt like garbage the next day, period. That thought right there, the, I, I never regretted staying sober. I've never regretted waking up sober. That thought got me through my very first Christmas sober. And I just remember like, you know, sitting there at the table. It's awkward. I'm sober. Everybody else is drinking. I felt socially completely out of place. And I just kept like I was it was almost on repeat. I will not regret staying sober when I wake up tomorrow, like over and over again. It's a really helpful one for sure. I think often I wake up sober and I'm so joyful about it and proud of myself and sometimes i'm even like a little smug like you know my friends are posting about how awful they feel or 
Um, you know, they're running into brunch late because they're so hungover sick. And I'm just like, well, I feel great. I don't know what you guys did last night, but it's all rosy over here. And you remember it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's always a bonus. Like, why did I get kicked out of that bar? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, I've had that. And I don't miss it. Yep. How, how did I get home? And then you pull out the keys and you're like, oh God, I drove. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another way to respond to that voice too, right? Start reminding it of what it was really like. And Steve and I will go through and, and we talk about like that, you know, you go to AA meetings and you hear the drunkalogue, like the the stories of, you know, people's past drinking and stuff. And in general, I don't love those conversations. But Steve and I, every once in a while, something will come up and I'm like, oh, my God, I just remembered this time that I, you know, hid three bottles of wine under the cupboard and whatever. And and those little memories are good in a way because they remind me how bad it really was. And I think answering that voice with just a gentle reminder, hey, no, it really was this bad. Like to go ahead and relive that shame moment for like a couple seconds and remember that feeling because it shuts that voice up in a hurry. Mm-hmm. My wife and I went to a little party the other night at a coffee shop and they're open late on Friday and Saturday and they have an alcohol permit and it was the 10th anniversary of this place and there was all kind of people in there, DJ, drinking, dancing. This friend invited us and we went and I made a conscious decision to not tell anybody that I was sober. Like I just did not want that to come up. I just wanted to experience the night drinking my Perrier and not saying a word about anything which is generally how I practice things. Like I'm not going to talk about not drinking when I'm at an event like that or whatever, but this just to watch the other people, to watch the other people and then to even have them ask like, Hey, you know, how come you're not drinking? And I was like, you know, just having a soda water or whatever. And I just avoided elaborating on that any further, but it's funny that situation, how often you don't say that you're sober, you don't say that you're in recovery or anything like that people will start talking about their own drinking and you talk about the voice, right? This is a chance to hear like the denial and the, 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 like I'm hearing my old self as I'm, as I'm listening to this person say like, oh, well, you know, I, I do want to cut back on my drinking, but you know, I mean, I do okay. You know, Friday and Saturday night, I'm like, oh my God, how many times did I say that in my life? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. The justifying it yes. and telling yourself everything was okay. And oh, yeah, for Until sure. Until it wasn't. And then when it wasn't, you told yourself it was going to be okay anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way we lie to ourselves. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Talk about owning that voice and taking the power away from it. Because Mine argued with me a lot, especially in the early days. It always had this knack of just getting in the way. And sometimes it took me out of actually being present in the moment because I was trying to like figure out that voice of justification. Why am I? No, like this is a hard no still. Why am I even thinking this? It still shows up. It showed up a lot in the early days, that's for sure. There's a story that I may have told on here at some point in the past 
77 episodes, but, um, you know, we call it the mental gymnastics, right? And so I was on, and I, I actually wrote this all out on a blog post. I was on day five of being sober. Um, and I live on a farm and it was fall and we were digging potatoes, me and my, my youngest daughter. And potato digging day is like, it's a tradition. You dig up the potatoes, you bring them inside. And then all the little broken potatoes that you end up with, that first night we turn them into like this amazing potato leek soup that I make. And we've been doing this since forever. And the potato leek soup has white wine in it, right? I'm on day five. So my brain is like, you can just start over tomorrow. Go buy the wine. It's fine. And then my my other side is like, no, we're, we're not drinking. There's other ways to handle this. Maybe you can just use extra chicken broth. And then the other side is like, you know what? You could go get one of those tiny bottles of wine and then you could just use that. And it was like the back and forth. And I mean, I was just sitting there like I was digging potatoes, thinking about the upcoming soup and my brain would not stop all the different ideas, you know, maybe we don't need soup at all. Maybe we do. And it was just, it was exhausting. I was absolutely not appreciating the moment, right? All I could think about was, am I going to go get wine? Am I not going to get wine? And, you know, am I going to get just a little bit and just put it in the soup? Or is my reality that I'm going to buy a whole bottle and put the one cup in the soup and drink the rest of it? And maybe it's okay. I'm only five days in, so I can just start over tomorrow. You know, it's exhausting. Rich is laughing because I I feel like we've all experienced this at some point or another. So we had someone talk about a tool that she used on here. And I realized how powerful it is because you you can just shut the conversation down, right? This is a decision you have to make. Am I going to drink? Am I not going to drink? And your brain just goes back and forth. And so we, we're, she was talking about, you know, she has this toolbox. There's five things on her list. Um, mm-hmm. And call her husband, pray, write in her journal, call her sponsor. And I, I think the last one was like set a timer. Yeah, or go to a meeting. There was like set a timer for 10 minutes and do something else. Go for a walk. And her rule was, I have to do these five things before I can even make a decision. And to take that to when your voice is doing that, when those voices are back and forth and back and forth, you could just shut it all down. You don't even have to think about it anymore. You can just be like, okay, I'm going to go do these five things. I don't even have to think about this or try to make this decision right now. And it just shuts that down because that's exhausting. And if you're going through that every single day in the early days, it gets harder and harder to fight that battle. So I love that tool of I'm just not even going to have this conversation in my head. I'm just going to go make a phone call and write in my journal. It was it's just great. It's so helpful. That was Katie. I remember. Yeah, I, I remember that. that. It was Katie. About that. Katie, it was early. I think it was might have been at the beginning of the season. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, it was Katie and it was her the five things she had to do to give herself permission to drink. I think she said she never made it past number two. It was a really neat perspective on how to look at that. You can have permission, but I just have to jump through all of these hoops. Yeah. Yeah. Never made it through the hoops. Right. It's exhausting. I think it's just the hoops is a lot. What's that, Al? I was just saying five hoops is a lot. Like, give me five hoops to jump through for most things, and I probably wouldn't. Right. <laughs> but for alcohol, yep. you might at least try, right? <laughs> I mean, I would jump through, like, one or two. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying I wouldn't try. Yeah. Right. But it's like our brains have only so much power, right? Our brains have only so much that 
it can do in the course of one day. And when you were talking, Julie, about the farm and the wine and the soup and the, you know, all of a sudden it's like you're using a lot of brain power obsessing over this, you know, like creating this scenario that like, and it's all just, it should be binary. It should be a one or a zero. It's, it should be just a yes or a no, but you're obsessing about it. You're making alterations to these plans and everything. And I did the exact same thing, you know, and I, I talked to guys who struggle with that too. Like, they're just like, it's Friday night. I want to drink. We, you know, what, what do I do? You know, it, it, it's a process and it's, it's, I think that people really have to find through exposure to other ideas about what it is that's going to work for them, that's going to be able to cut that alarm off, you know, and get your own little protocol, your own little like five hoops, you know, your own little thing of like what's going to be right for you so that you can get through that weak moment. And like my experience is that the weak moments have gone away, like time has gone by and like I'm pretty much good. I'm not scared of this thing. I feel good about where I am. Yes, I get stressed. No, I don't think about drinking. Every once in a while that will pop into my head, but it's like I've put in the work of really trying to just make my life be about reacting to situations, people, places, and things mm -hmm. in a way that just doesn't involve alcohol. Just no more running and just, you know, and, and drowning my problems and escaping the reality. I'll try to, you know, confront it head on. Maybe it's humor, you know, maybe like, I have a friend, you got a friend, I'll text my friend something funny or random and just see how they react, you know, and, and that'll just kind of distract me from whatever the stressful thing might be that, that, that might've, you know, wanted me to drink. And, but I, I, I love that voice in, in me because it is, it is a version of me, you know, and it's, it's a flawed version of me, but it's a, I mean, it's been influenced by whole bunch of stuff that have that has promoted alcohol all throughout my entire life so you know it's it's a process it took a long time for all that stuff to get in there and it's going to take a long time for it to get out and oh, it's yeah. also worth saying i've never experienced a craving that didn't at some point end mm -hmm. and you know there when you're in the, the thick of those cravings you're like, I can't feel this way forever. I can't keep feeling like this, right? I mean, that's that's how I was anyway. I guess I won't say you, I'll say for me. Um, I remember feeling like I just can't keep doing this and and literally never have I had a craving that didn't go away. Sometimes that, that in itself is just a comforting thought. So this is my first go at sobriety. First, first go, because you never know. I've closed the door on that decision, but I can only close the door on the decision today. But with that being said, like when I hear other people's stories, when they talk about their voices and what they sound like, and I'm, I'm talking about giving that voice permission to be heard. Like what you were mentioning, Rich, is having that conversation and allowing it, allowing a safe space or finding a safe space where I can tell someone what that voice is saying. So, cause I can't find the solution to it normally, unless I can hear myself speak or write it down, like what Julie mentioned. And then it always seemed to be like some sort of collaborative effort. Sometimes I had to separate myself from an event or whatever that may be. So I could call a friend and I've called Julie in my earlier days and I still do sometimes 
when stuff happens, when life happens, when whatever that may be. But I think giving it permission, I thought it was good. Sometimes I do laugh about it. And sometimes when we talk about it, it ends up being a joke and then it ends up turning into this conversation that's a drunk log about, oh yeah, do you remember this time? Yeah, I remember this time. Do you remember when <laughs> you did this silly thing? Yeah, I remember that. And oh yeah, I had one of those. And it just becomes a conversation now where we can laugh at some of the ridiculousness that has gone on in our past. But like, I'm, I'm just loving that I can remember those days when I was brand new and how proud I was that I was waking up on Saturday morning and I wasn't drunk. Right. Like that's, that was great, you know? And, and those, the, those things kept me going too. I'm like, just the fact that I have a little time under my belt, like, wow, holy smokes. I've been sober for 45 days. Some two months sober today, you know, like just I was riding off of that a lot of times and just using that as kind of like to try and fuel myself to keep going. I know some people are really like against uh, day counting and there's so much stuff on Instagram. How long have you been sober? You know, post your days, you know, and I love all of it. I'm not against any of it because there's some there's a group of people who are getting a huge boost by participating in that conversation online and they love it. And when they post that they're 60 days sober, 400 people like that comment. It's just, it's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I love it. I think whatever helps you get by and whatever helps you stay sober. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's people that count. There's people that don't count. There's so many different ways and angles to look at it that, that work for anyone. It's, it's all worth a try. And if it doesn't work, just Try something else. Try something, something else. That's that's yeah. what that's what this whole thing is all about. And that's that's how I think we all I'm gonna wrap this up now, how we all combated that alcohol voice, that addict voice, the one that tried to find the justification and trying to find the little crack in in the armor and find the insecurity and then try and weasel its way into uh whether it's using logic, flawed logic, old thinking, you name it. I feel like we've all experienced some version of it. I hope everyone else has heard something that uh, they can relate to in this conversation tonight. So I'd like to say thank you, Rich, and thank you, Al, for showing up and telling some stories and being vulnerable. Really appreciate you guys being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you guys so much. Man, thank you guys so much for uh, the opportunity, and it was really good to get to know all of y'all. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Steve, you have the strangest Texas accent that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you should because hear when a Canadian, Canadian says y'all. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much to our listeners for sharing your time with us today. We hope you found this episode helpful. If there's anything in particular you'd love to hear us chat about, send us an email at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com and let us know. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow through the Glass Recovery Podcast. And we'll see you next week with an episode all about how to build your support network. See you then.